I think when any person working at a craft or a trade is doing something, I think a lot of times people feel like they have something to prove. And I think that as I get older, my ability to edit creatively is more important to me. Editing is a super important thing as a culinary artist, as a, in this craft, in this trade. flavor is an amazing human who has perfected their craft. Welcome to Flavors Unknown, a series of inspirational conversations with renowned culinary leaders. Discover how their cultural identity shapes their creative process with your host, Emmanuel. Welcome to episode 110 of the Flavors Unknown podcasts. I have recorded a series of panel discussions to expand on each chapter from my new book, Conversations Behind the Kitchen Door. Today, I will start with chapter number five. It's called Creative Decisions. I have invited Chef Harry Cameron, Chef Andrew McLeod, and pastry chef Sam Mason to chat about the chef creative process. I am your host, Emmanuel Laroche. I have been in the food industry for more than 20 years, both in Europe and in the US. And every other week, I have genuine conversations with acclaimed chefs from around the country to understand their path to success and figure out how their cultural background influences their creative process. Please follow us wherever you listen to podcasts, and you can get my book wherever you buy books, and as well from my website, flavorsunknown.com. Hi, everyone, and uh, welcome to uh, Flavors Unknown. Hi, guys. Hey. Hi, everybody. I'm really excited to uh, talk to the three of you here. It was interesting when I had that conversations with many chefs and, and pastry chefs on, on the show, is that I have seen everyone having different ways. There's not like one way to uh, go into the creation of a new dish or a new, a new dessert. But I did this, let's say, intellectual exercise of trying to look through all my conversations and see what are like the, if there's like specific ways of approaching it. And I looked at it and there were kind of seven ways after I talked to all of you where everyone was elevating an ingredient or rotating ingredients depending on the season or combining and fusing, you know, things together, or it could be substituting an ingredient for another. They were deconstructing, you know, um, a dish or a dessert. They were simplifying as well to really celebrate the ingredients and simplifying as, as much as possible. So if you guys don't mind is to play the game and to tell me, for instance, like thinking about all those different approaches, which one that you think that you are using the most when you are creating like a new dish or uh, like a new dessert? I'm happy to start. Okay, Harry. I really like creativity. I think as a chef, it kind of goes a part of the job, but the way that we use creativity is different. In my cooking, you know, I find that um, if I try to force things, they never seem to go, you know? So I really try to lean on seasonality when I create menus. And I think it's like, kind of the mantra for a lot of chefs. I mean, 
I think that as a chef, we must use the best ingredients that we can find. When we use the best ingredients, we can get the best outcomes for vinyl dishes. But often we'll find the best ingredients, or often I find, I can only speak for myself, in seasonality. And I really let the seasons kind of help dictate my thinking, help, you know, it's like when the things are the most beautiful and the most available. So for me, that kind of is that rotation. I know that in the summertime, I'm going to find some really beautiful tomatoes, an ingredient that are like, um, you know, the Lamborghini of the vegetable world. They're shiny, they're beautiful, they're colorful, they're beautiful on their own. And when I look to seasons, I know that in the summertime, I'm going to create, I'll go back to ingredients that I love that make me feel like summertime or in the fall, the ingredients that make me feel like it's fall. And then again, it, to me, it's kind of saying, okay, I've, I've done this this many ways. I really like this technique. I'm going to adapt it. I'm going to work on it. I'm going to revisit that thought process. And then other times it's like thinking about it. Okay, now I like this ingredient. I like where it's going. How can I make it new? How can I make it feel new to me while still honoring what the ingredient is? So I like the idea of returning to ingredients that I know and I'm familiar with. Of course, I'm always exploring flavors and I'm always exploring new flavor combinations and I'm always exploring past memories that I've had or influenced by cultural things. But um, I really like the idea of using seasonality because I think we can get some of the best of the product that's around and then really try to highlight that. Okay. So rotations. Okay. What about uh, you, Andrew? Well, like you said, it's my favorite thing to talk about, uh, like anything having to do with, with astronomy or cooking. And your kind of preamble to this made me think about something that I, that I think is really important. And to, to me, that's that your conception of what creativity means, at least in, through the lens of, of, a, of a cook and a chef, really changes significantly throughout the course of, of someone's career. You know, certainly has gone through several different iterations of what I what I feel creativity consists of in my career. You know, early on to me that you know, my first couple of years like looking on a line somewhere, being creative meant like discovering different flavor combinations that I myself wasn't familiar with. It might have been, you know, something that's existed somewhere else for, you know, thousands of years or whatever, but it's new to me. And that's not really inherently creative. But it for me at that time, like that was the pinnacle of pinnacle of creativity, you know, and as I've, you know, grown and progressed, the idea of creativity within like the culinary world gets smaller and smaller because, you know, everything's been done. I think there's been, you know, some very, very good examples of restaurants that have kind of lived and existed to be temples of technique. You know, WD50 is a great example of that. You know, LWE had a, had a really long tenure of existing solely to seek out new techniques and to, and to seek out new flavors. And it informs a generation of, uh, of chefs into different ways of thinking about things and approaching things. And, you know, to me, I think it's kind of a fool's errand to think that I'm going to be able to create something that's different enough from anything else that's already been out there. You know, my, my job is to, is to be stewards, like, like Hari was saying, stewards of the season. When a new product comes in or is available, through experience and, and the skill set that you're able to cultivate, 
you know, you have a roster full of things that you've done before in the past that have been successful. And you have a better sense of like what's essential about an ingredient to hold on to or to elevate or to, to balance differently. So, you know, we're in the middle of preparing for a major menu transition right now at the restaurant. Our products are, are just starting to, to pop in and our tomatoes are going to pop off or going to drop off in the next week or so. We've got a lot of that stuff on our, on our minds right now. The way in which that we're approaching it is how are we supporting the ingredients to feel new, even if they're familiar? Being able to hide technique within something that, that appears really simple is kind of the whole, the whole point for me. You know, a, a good example of this is, you know, yesterday a, a farmer, you know, came in and he had 60 pounds of top offs that he couldn't sell. And you know, wanted to make a deal and haggle with me about it. And I hadn't planned on doing anything with pawpaws this year, you know, but um, I bought them and, you know, they're going to drop into a dessert that I was planning on using pumpkin for and, you know, the exact same place, a, a sherbet instead of a, instead of a pumpkin ice cream in a, in a layered, you know, kind of dessert. And I wouldn't have thought of that, you know, and, and, <laughs> unless he had, had showed up at my back door, but that's going to, that's going to end up being a completely different experience than the one that I set out for in the first place. So to me, like the creativity is a byproduct of the stimuli of the product funneled through your collective experience and then you know, manifested in whatever you decide to do with that ingredient. Very good. I'll come back to you on the different example that you mentioned, but I, I want to go to Sam now just to have his view on, on the, the creative question. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, creativity to me, it's the same as kind of, I think we're all touching on the same things, you know, it's, it's either inspiration from walking through a farmer's market and seeing something that maybe you haven't seen in a while and it's just gorgeous, whatever produce that is, vegetable or fruit. I'm also kind of lucky because on the dessert end of the spectrum, creativity is a little easier, I think. And, and I might be wrong, but it's like, you know, if, if you throw all black olives into a dessert, it seems very creative and it is very creative, but it's like, it's kind of a, it's like low hanging fruit for no, no pun intended. I mean, it's like, you know, it's easy to blur the lines between, um, savory and sweet towards the end of the meal. And I, that's definitely a false statement, but that's, you get my point. And then creativity also, I think is, you know, I had dinner at the fat duck probably a decade ago and worked with Hassan Blumenthal a couple seasons and seeing how he would not change the menu per se, as far as what the dishes were. But the way that they were represented every season was changed. And I, that, I thought that was just kind of mesmerizing. Whether the, the dish just expanded on itself or maybe changed just by the way he was influenced that season. But it was still the same. You're like, I can't believe this guy hasn't changed the menu in six years. But he had. Every year the menu had changed. It just read the same. And he had just changed his, the way he looked at those ingredients. I always thought that was rather creative. And like Andrew said, like, you know, there's, there's times where you'll, you'll look at a, a dish in, that's in your repertoire and maybe, maybe you don't really remember how the dish really was executed. But when you re recreate the dish, whether it's better or worse, it's, it's how you feel at the moment. You know, it's, it's, it's your current creativity. <laughs> if that's a thing, I've definitely been more creative at points in my life than other points, but my current creativity <laughs> is all I can vouch for. And, you know, I also have different different venues. I have, I have ice cream, which I think tends to be a different creative uh, wavelength or, or bandwidth than, you know, now that this donut, this uh, vinoiserie program I'm doing 
just re rethinking croissant and puff pastry and laminated doughs in general is just inspiring new ways, new creativity that I, that I'm not super familiar with. That's kind of even more and more exciting because it's something I'm, it's not my wheelhouse. I, I probably haven't made a, a laminated dough since 1990. Maybe I'm lying about that too. If you want someone as a taster, you know, for limited pastry, you know, French people have the limited pastry in their DNA, in their taste buds. So if you want to have anyone like, you know, to taste that for you, I can volunteer. It's, I, I live very close from uh, Brooklyn. So. Fair enough, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> to add on to what Sam said, I find myself creating in different venues as well. Like the meeting that I just left was for my fast casual mac and cheese restaurant. And you think of mac and cheese as the standard format. I think it's very interesting to think about the confines of a project to be creative and letting those parameters really kind of push the creativity. And that's the same thing with, with the ingredients. You know, you can't cook with the ingredients that aren't in front of you. For mac and cheese, for me, this concept is to make as many people happy as possible is to make the best mac and cheese. You know, we make noodles from scratch. We make different sauces. We add different toppings on it. And it can be a very straightforward thing. But to me, there's a lot of creativity. Now, it's not a multi-course tasting menu like I do sometimes. We're not using heirloom tomatoes on the mac and cheese. We're using really good canned tomatoes. And we're using semolina and really good cheeses. But I like the idea of the different venues. You know, sometimes I create food that is pushing, you know, sometimes I purposely on menus will push people's kind of boundaries and their expectations. Other times you want to cook things that are fun, creative, that kind of give people hugs, make people feel comforting. So I like the idea and I agree with what Sam is saying is that it is really, you know, you pick back up things that you haven't used for a while and you're like, explore that, that kind of train of thought. For the mac and cheese restaurant, it's pretty set, but we're always trying to be creative in, in making things better, adding a new dish on with ingredients, like refining things. You know, even though it's fast casual, it's met, we serve hundreds of tins of pasta a day. It's different than the creative process of like when I'm working with, I just made a dessert for all of the rice growers of the country. And it was like um, a rice pudding creme brulee hybrid local peaches. And so that's very different than what I do at Grandpa Mac. But I think that all of its creativity and there's a place for those skills and that creativity in in all of it. it. It exists all at the same time. What do you think, Andrew and uh, and Harry, is back to what uh, Sam was saying, is it easier to be creative in dessert compared to dishes like culinary dishes? Well, I think that it's technique and ingredients, you know, it's, it's different things. I think that, um, being creative, I guess I asked the question creative in what way, you know, with desserts, there's a lot of techniques. Desserts are at the end and they can be fun and you can add different layers in it. And I'm a chef, you know, savory chef, but I've won best pastries before as well. I do a lot of pastry cooking. I know Andrew does as well. I love technique to me. Sugar is, um, some chefs, the old mindset of chefs, I think they're like, oh, I don't do baking. I don't do pastry. You know, for me, I, I love to create in all of those ways. So I think that's more creative or less creative. I think there are aspects that you can be more creative in pastry, but I think that 
I don't know. I think it's all part of the creative process. I agree. I would also say Hari touched on something that I think is really spot on where, where not so much like thinking about pastry versus savory, but when there's parameters placed around something, if there's a box that something has to fit inside, just paradoxically, I think that that encourages creativity in itself. You know, there's significant periods in my career where, where I worked in places that, that had very, very strict rules about using certain products and, and, and where things had to be from and, um, and this kind of thing. And a, and a lot of, a lot of times that forced us to learn a completely new skill set about how to, to create a product that, you know, we could not find that was within, you know, the radius that we were allowed to purchase from or whatever. So there was, there was a lot of forced ingenuity and, and creativity in, in that kind of sense because of limitations that were placed on us. You know, we, we wouldn't have, have done those things if we could just order them. With respect to pastry, though, I, I think that, that it, it is important to clarify, like, creativity is a really broad term. And what are we talking about when we, when we say that? Uh, and that it's easier to be creative in a, in a pastry application than, than savory. I think that it is easier to give people something that is unexpected in a, in a pastry application. And a lot of times that, that can mean creative. That can be what we're, what we're referring to. There's certainly a lot more opportunity to be artistic and, you know, very aesthetic in the way that our presentation is in a pastry application versus a savory application. There's a big part of what, you know, goes into what, what we all think of as a creative endeavor, how something looks. Creativity is just such a broad term that encompasses so, so many things that it's hard to say, yes, it's easier in this place and no, it's, it's not as easy in this place. There's so many different things that, that add up to that that can, that can mean the same thing. You all mentioned that your creativity was different depending of uh, where you were and as well the stage in your career. How have you seen creativity evolving throughout your career? Is it, are you looking for like a different way of expressing creativity now that you are, I would say, older in your career than compared when you started? Have you seen like a difference on the, the way how you approach creativity? Again, speaking for myself, when any person working at a craft or a trade is doing something, I think a lot of times people feel like they have something to prove. And I think that as I get older, my ability to edit creatively is more important to me. Editing is is um, a super important thing as a culinary artist as a, in, this, in this craft, in this trade. If you aren't editing, if you're adding things on, because you have something to prove or now I think when you're young, you have bravado. You want to like, I think young chefs I see often, or I see young cooks, like they want to use all of the skills that they have learned. They want to use all of the tools in their arsenal all at the same time, or they want to use, you know, like I think as you get older, I am less to follow trends. As I get older, I definitely cook more simply, but I think it's less, it's not less about cooking simply and more about focus and more about editing. I feel like I edit better and I feel like my focus on the plate is better. And I think that we've said it before, but in what Andrew just said is like when you impose parameters on your creativity, you know, some people like say cook something. It's like, well, I can cook anything at any point in time. 
it's way too wide open at that point. But if there are parameters to create in, then it forces you. But again, going to the focus, focus and simplicity, I think, ultimately, I found makes better food, better cuisine, because there's less things to get in the way. So in this stage of my career, I'm stripping things away while still finding ways to be creative and present things, creativity, both aesthetically and conceptually as well. Hari was touching on something that's uh, really pivotal, and, and that's the idea of simplicity and, and, and what you've mentioned about lots of chefs that are, that are aging, focusing on that. To me, what he said about it being focused and, and not just simplicity is, is really spot on. Because for, for me, it's, that's the kind of process that, that my cooking has been going through for the last few years. And my perspective is stripping away things that are unnecessary. And in order to do that, we have to have like a pretty wide breadth of knowledge of technique and, and you know, ways in which to approach things. And so a lot of time that, that I spend editing things is spent asking, is this essential? Is this part of this process essential? And for the concept restaurant that this is, this is a, this is a neighborhood restaurant. We want everybody to feel welcome. We, we are very diligent about our sourcing and, and how we handle food and, you know, the quality of, of things that we do here. But at the end of the day, you know, we're, we're a place that's, that's trying to be accessible and approachable to, to anybody who walks in here. And with that in mind, a person like me that, that has a, a really high end background, you, you learn all these things about the best case scenarios of how to treat a certain thing and how to do you know, each little thing with each little ingredient. And so there's a lot of paring down and there's a lot of editing of like, okay, is this part of this process essential? Am I the only one that's going to notice whether we did this or not? And a lot of times the answer is yes. Not only is, is it important, I think, to have that lens on our cooking in terms of like conceptually what's on the plate and what it consists of, but also how that factors into the quality of life of everybody that works here, you know? Sure, we could do really intricate food that, that's really complex and that can pull people away and do all this and this. But we'd be, you know, working significantly more hours every day and every week in order to do that. And who are we really trying to satisfy by doing that? It's not really going to satisfy our clientele. That's not what they're. That's not what they're here for. It might make us feel good you know, from an ego perspective, but we're going to feel shitty because we're all getting older and, you know, we don't want to spend 80 hours a week at work anymore. That's a critical part of thinking about these things as well. It's not just about what's on the plate. It's also about, you know, how this affects the team, how this affects everybody's, you know, quality of their work experience. Yeah, that's the element of the execution, you know, aspect that, uh, you know, of whatever you are creating. I think that it is a very interesting uh, statement that you mentioned about, uh, you know, sometimes creativity is to satisfy like the ego part of, um, you know, <laughs> of, of the chef of, uh, of the place. When I was listening to Harry before and then you, Andrew, obviously your platforms are really different because uh, Andrew, you have a restaurant. Harry, you are more in the role of a co consultant, you know, now. I mean, obviously you had a restaurant before. But I'm guessing your approach to, you know, creativity is totally different because of that premise. And then you were mentioning, Harry, that, you know, you are less about creating because to be connected to one of the latest strands. I'm thinking that if you are, I don't know, I'm just 
thinking from a marketing perspective, if you are you have a restaurant and you own a restaurant and you are in a street where there's other restaurants, I'm guessing being edgy, being trendy or on trend is probably more well, relevant. Well, well for, for me, right. I um I think if you're following trends, you're probably behind because you're looking to what others are doing instead of just being purely creative yourself. This weekend, I'm going to cater a great-grandmother's 90th birthday. She's a great-great-grandmother's 90th birthday. There'll be 80 people there. It'll be a buffet. I'll be cooking things that are, you know, I'm still sous vide short ribs and glazing them. There's some smothered shrimp on stone ground grits coming from Castle Valley in Pennsylvania. You know, I'm cooking a um, $250 plate, five-course tasting for Sodal Fest. And these things are very avant-garde. These things are very... So I still do cook food that is pushing, but to me, the trends are less. Now, with that being said, I you're right. I do a lot of consulting now, and that's how my creativity is different. In my creativity, the lens that my creativity shifts is sometimes it's for marketing something. Sometimes it's looking at it through what can I do with this piece of equipment. Other times, but all in all, the type of art or the type of craft that we do isn't painting in a corner. I can't convey emotion, but I, I'm always really trying to give the guest what they need or who, who is paying for the service. And I'm trying to cook to the level of where the people are at for that concept. So if I'm creating a recipe for all of the rice growers to use in marketing, then that's going to be a different lens that I'm pushing my creativity for. But if I'm cooking a $250 a plate charity dinner or these things, then that's going to be a different lens than if I'm cooking for my fast casual pasta restaurant. And I think that's the interesting thing about creativity is that um, creativity is such a broad term. Are we speaking about being creative in the use of the ingredient or are we speaking creative in presentation? Are we speaking creatively in the conceptual idea of a dish? Are we speaking, you know, so there's a lot of levels Creative is sourcing, creative, creativity is sourcing, creativity is management of, and that's going back to management of labor. You need to be creative. I still work a million hours. Now I get to choose the million hours that I get to work a week, but at least now I'm kind of choosing them myself and I have to be creative with how I schedule dropping the boys off at school and picking them up. And it's a different, that's creative as well. It's just a different creative process. So yeah. Creativity is such a, a broad topic. In our conversation, Andrew, you mentioned something that I, in fact, used in the, in the book that you mentioned that creativity for you is an exercise in practicality. And so can you tell us a little bit what you meant by that and if you can give us an example? Sure. What I mean by that is kind of what we talked about in, in this, this first segment was there's a, a lot of different ways in which that you view what creativity is as a cook and a chef throughout the course of your career. You know, early on for me, it, w it was, you know, things that were unexpected, just general. And, and a lot of it was a lot of different ingredients that I'd never seen before and put together in ways that, that are striking and, and techniques that, you know, make things appear uh, or have a texture that isn't natural and, and you know, that kind of a thing. And so I, I think saying that that statement is really like me speaking to a former self, right? That creativity doesn't mean what you think it means. 
creativity means being able to, when that farmer comes to the door with 50 pounds of pawpaws that you didn't plan on, or, you know, a hundred pounds of arugula or, you know, whatever it is. And you've, you know, want to be a good steward to, to, to these people that take care of you and, and that, that diligently produce food uh, for you to be able to, to cook and serve at your restaurant that you're capable of, if not right then, you know, but over the course of however long it's going to take for you to process the, this ingredient, um, figure out how you're going to do something with it that adds value to your menu and adds value to your guests. It is engaging, that can be engaging for your team, something that they haven't seen before or worked with before, a process that is unfamiliar with them that, that shows them the magic of how applying the technique that we have to ingredients makes something so much more than the sum of its parts. That's what we're here to do, you know? So that's what I mean about the practical sense is that it's not it, like, like Hari said, you know, we're not painting in a corner or whatever. We're not sitting in an office, just writing a menu, pulling ingredients out of the sky or whatever. You know, people did do that in the past, but like cooking and restaurants has a fairly instant feedback loop, right? So you, you, you get something on the plate, it goes to a guest. You're, pr- you're pretty much going to be able to determine right away whether that thing worked or it didn't. That's really important to have that that short feedback loop. That way we can continue to, to improve and edit and, and learn from this. Okay, so I wanted to like switch to another aspect, which is about this idea of you know achieving the balance of flavors, you know, in the creative process. So obviously we are talking about bringing sweetness or sourness or you know saltiness, bitterness, even umami character. Can you give us an example of like maybe a unique or creative ways that you have achieved a balance of flavors by bringing either, you know, sweetness or sourness of saltiness, bitterness, umami character, but some, something that, you know, not obvious. This spring, I was asked to do a poached shrimp for a shrimp cocktail play, but I didn't want to use ketchup. Local tomatoes weren't around. And I was thinking, how can I achieve a cocktail sauce that has all of the characteristics of cocktail sauce that we really love, but without being a tomato-based cocktail? Like shrimp cocktail is a great dish just by nature of flavor combination, the sweetness of the shrimp, the pungentness of, you know, the sweet acidity from the tomato for complementary and acidity and sugar, the spiciness, the pungentness of the horseradish. So somebody said, hey, can you do this kind of shrimp cocktail? And in my mind, I'm like, I don't want to just cook shrimp cocktail, as it were, from 1950. So what can I do to make it my own? What can I do to make this interesting while still giving the guest what they really want? So I started thinking about, okay, horseradish is essential. I love horseradish and seafood. I love that flavor combination of seafood and horseradish, both in like with oysters and mignonette and, um, with smoked trout salad, you know, horseradish is what works for me. And then I was thinking, okay, so now what I can play with is the tomato. So what I actually did was I actually used, I had a whole bag of these dried hibiscus flowers, Jamaican sorrel. And when you drink this sorrel tea or agua de jicama, you know, this, it's a beautiful color. It's just like very, it likes the color of my shirt. It's this vibrant hue. You get all of this natural acids. And then you can sweeten it however you want to sweeten it. And it has a certain kind of bitterness and a nice depth. 
So I made a cocktail sauce with this hibiscus flowers and horseradish. I set it and then I both made, and then I was thinking about it. Okay. Now that I have this flavor profile that I really like, how can I use this? So I strained it and I had some very, very smooth cocktail sauce that had a beautiful texture. I dried some of it into a almost like a, a salt crumble as well so that you could get different both when you dehydrated it and dried it and ground it, it gave a beautiful kind of texture and an intense against the silkiness of the shrimp and it's the silkiness of the sauce. So for me, that's kind of one way where we can say, is that a deconstruction? Kind of, but it's and it's still very reminiscent of cocktail sauce, but it also is something that is hibiscus and horseradish, and it, it, it worked for this. Hopefully, that's a good example. Absolutely. I want to try that, <laughs> for sure. Andrew? I think a good example of, of what you're talking about would be, uh, you know, currently, it's, we're still in, in, in summer here, and we, we are making and selling a whole ton of corn aniolotti pasta. And this comes from a dish that Michael Tusk has done at Catonia probably every year since Catonia opened in 2010, I think, 10 or 11. And his dish was a triangle that had a forno corn like on the pickup with the butter glaze and some chives and chive flowers. Tremendous, like wonderful dish. You know, it's a mascarpone in the farce and, and a little pecorino and, and, you know, cooked corn, cooked in butter, that's pureed and all this, you know, beautiful, silky farce, butter glaze, a little lemon juice, onions, and, you know, that's it. The, the four corn and, and, you know, they would sell 30 of them a, a, a night. Like 30 of them at lunch and 30 of them at And I wanted to do a dish that was, that was, had those, that same characteristic, but make it a little bit different and also give it a sense of place here in North Carolina and Appalachia, not in San Francisco. So what we, what we ended up doing is we ended up making, you know, Appalachian traditional sour corn, you know, lacto-fermenting the corn on the cob and, and taking that off once it, once it gets really nice and uh, tart. And that's what we, we pick up our anilodi in. So far, this is really similar. But instead of the dish being all sweetness, we have the ability to add that uh, acidic balance with corn. So, you know, we're balancing that, that dish, the sweet corn with sour corn. So just a little bit of butter and lemon juice and chives in the pan. But th- I think that's a really good example of figuring out what the essential components are. Uh, and to me, that dish always lacked acid, you know, it was, it, but, but what it was about, it was about luxurious, velvety, sweet, rich corn, you know, but I had trouble eating seven pieces of this pasta because it's like, you know, it's a lot. And so I always felt it needed a little, a little bit more balance. And, and so I think that the, with, with the way that we do the, the corn on the with this, the sour corn really gives that punch to it that it needs for you to crave the rest of that bowl, you know, and really really enjoy that and it's everybody's everybody's favorite pasta in the summer so uh when it comes to some unique ways of balancing flavors i think we uh we tend to go the umami route whether that be using a small amount of uh, miso paste to salt my caramel or maitake mushrooms cooked in vanilla and cinnamon to add umami or even cheeses in a dish and soy sauce i mean those are pretty much the way we we tend to approach balancing with with umami very cool thank you very much guys i really appreciate your uh inputs uh during this uh discussion thank you very much hope you enjoyed the rest of your day really great to see both of you thank you likewise
Thank you for listening today. I love those panel discussions with chefs and mixologists. And the next one should be on the chapter six of my new book, Conversations Behind the Kitchen Door. The chapter is called Beyond French Techniques. It will be with Chef Carlo Lamagna, Chef Fermin Nunez, and pastry chef Aaron Canigilux. In between this panel discussion and the next one, my next episode will be with Chef Lia Gaccione from South and Pine in Morristown, New Jersey. Please get the book on my website, flavorsunknown.com. And for each book sold from the website, I will donate $1 to Chef's Rose Andres Association, World Central Kitchen. I see you in two weeks. And until then, remember that people who love to eat are always the best people. Thanks for listening to Flavors Unknown. If you've enjoyed this episode, give us a follow on Instagram at Flavors Unknown and visit us at flavorsunknown.com. Don't forget to leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts.